Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's Religion podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. Is American religion becoming more intense and conservative, despite the fact that church-going generally is falling in the United States? That's a suggestion in a recent paper by sociologists Landon Schnabel and Sean Bock, entitled The Persistent and Exceptional Intensity of American Religion, and it paints an alarming picture. While mainstream Christianity in the United States fades away, mumbling right-on platitudes, conservative Christians, mostly evangelicals, are as fervent as ever, it says, meaning that the gulf between religious and non-religious Americans is becoming unbridgeable. In other words, no truce in the culture wars. But is that true? With me to discuss research is Professor Stephen Bullivant of St. Mary's University, Twickenham a specialist in patterns of church attendance, whose work, Stephen, I hope you'll agree, is never afraid to challenge the smug liberal consensus of academics working in this field. Sorry about that, It's a pleasure. But may I ask you to summarise what's in this very interesting but I think rather controversial paper. Yeah, I think paper. we both have some questions. Yep. So the, the background to this is that since about 1990... Every new survey tracking the religiosity of of Americans, particularly with affiliation, has shown an increase in the proportion of the population who say they have no religion. So these are called nuns or nuns. nuns. So it was about 8% in 1990, and now it's up to around 20 or so percent. Now, Which which is an astonishing change. Well, it is. It it is. Because, I mean, for for the longest time, you know, as Europe, most of Western Europe was was secularising and Australia, other Anglophone countries, developed Anglophone countries, especially Canada, America seemed exceptionally religious, okay? Yes. And then... Suddenly, there's been a, a lot of speculation that, that this is changing, that it, for whatever reasons, maybe it was a Cold War, maybe it was something else, that American secularization wasn't going to happen. And now there's been a spate that says, well, actually, look, we see the rise of the nons, we see decline in, in at least mainstream churches has happened very quickly. Is that happening with the sort of the more committed churches? And basically, are we kind of 20, 30 years away from Western European levels of secularity? And... If I can just put that in the context of the stuff I used to study, it's a very disorientating prospect because for so many decades, people talked about American exceptionalism, by which they meant America's religious. Yeah. It's just different. Over city there. on a hill. They're different from our city yeah. on the hill. And, you know, they're, they're going to stay religious and yet modernize isn't that amazing. And Europe, Europe is different and... And never the twain shall meet. And suddenly we've got mountains of evidence suggesting that Americans are secularizing in pretty much the same way that we are, i.e. not going to church, among other things. So there's more in the paper, Yeah, so the, so the paper challenges this. You know, it uses uh, an excellent data set I work with very often called the General Social Survey to argue that, well, actually, yes, at the kind of the top line affiliation practice, some levels of belief are going down. But if you drill into this, then what you realise is that there's a kind of a hardcore committed contingent in American religion who are as, as fervently religious as ever, if not increasing. And the real fall has been in the kind of what they call the moderate 
religious or the kind of the sometimes practicing people, and these are the people who are becoming non-religious. Okay, so, so who are the hardcore? As they well, the hardcore it? fundamentalists, actually, well, evangelicals. Well, you would read this paper, and maybe this is a, a British American difference of kind of what we regard as hardcore, because there's there's an issue there. But to read the terminology used here, it talks about you know there's a difference between strong and moderate religious people or committed practices and sometimes practices. But actually, if you drill into what they're actually looking at and the definition of someone who is a strong Christian is someone who not only says that they are a particular denomination but says that they are strongly that if they just say they're somewhat strongly that then they don't count as one of the strong ones they're one of the moderates and in terms of practice and again I find this astonishing but what they've regarded as the kind of the strongly religious people are the people who are going more than once a week so on their definition the kind of the sometimes attenders which to my mind is people who turn up at christmas or easter if that in this context a sometimes attender can be someone who's there every single sunday religiously to someone who kind of comes once a year so actually that's a hugely diverse group of people and actually if you're once a week attenders are declining and there's nothing in this paper to suggest they're not then that is a real serious bit of classic secularisation. There's no question about that. So let's look at this hardcore of religious believers, the majority of whom would be evangelicals, quite a few Catholics among them. What sort of percentage of the American population are we talking well, about? Well, certainly in terms of the pra- by their practice measure, the people who were there more than once a week at religious services, it's not just that they you know they go on a Sunday and they go to a, a Bible study or a, yeah. you know a, yeah. a bingo night. These are pretty hardcore and, with time on their hands. And how many? What percentage? Eight percent. Eight. Eight percent. Let's I mean, spell that, that out. That's eight the kind of eight percent. That's the hardcore that they're really focusing in on as the unchanged the bulwark against this hypothesized secularization. Okay, but let's just think for a moment, maybe it's true that the percentage of Americans who are intensely religious in the way that so many Americans used to be, it's probably more than 8%, but really has shrunk enormously. And here's a very important question. If the number of intensely religious people is small but still significant and much more energetic than in Europe. What does that actually mean for American society? Because my experience has been, and I've done field work in America, that you can talk to very religious people, you can talk to you can talk to pastors at the first Baptist church in Dallas, which is like a sort of fundamentalist Vatican, and find out that once you get chatting about things, their attitudes towards other Christians, other Americans, are not quite as hardline as they might make out in their policy statements, and certainly not as hardline as the liberal American media is always telling us. These fundamentalist Christians aren't quite so fundamentalist when it turns out that their son is gay, for example, or they're having to get their third divorce. Yeah. What do you think? No, and I think this is right. I mean, if we look back to the 1950s, I mean, before televangelism became a thing, precisely that constituency of kind of hardcore evangelicals would have had very serious doubts about television, very serious doubts about about secular music, very serious doubts about the cinema. And so, you know... These were the people who were smashing Elvis records. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, now they're... Well, first of all, they realised that actually the television was either the positive spin is to say that an excellent evangelistic tool, which it is. Um, yep. The more cynical side was, well, there's cash there. 
Okay, but there was a, a, a lot of cash a there, it turned cash. out. I've actually seen some of these televangelists, seen the cars they drive off on, if not private yeah, jets. Yeah, quite. And so they approached these with a new hermeneutical framework. Okay, jargon alert, Stephen, you're losing me well, just a little bit. Well, slightly ironic okay, there. They basically decided right. that these are fine. We see this with churches all the time, is that it happens in all denominations that... Churches very often find theological reasons to make peace with something when they realise that they kind of have to. Absolutely. I mean, a classic example is the Mormon Church. I was about to say precisely that. Yeah, which received a um, divine revelation that it was okay for blacks to become priests in the Mormon Church in about 1972, which, or whenever it was, 78, not by coincidence was just the point at which it became completely culturally unacceptable yeah. to bar blacks from the priesthood. And much earlier, of course, the ban on polygamy, yeah. but plural marriage within the LDS. You know, call this it plural was marriage. The, of course, they call plural it plural marriage. marriage yeah. This was the real bar to statehood. They got a bloody good bargain out of it, didn't they? Yeah, Abandoned the plural marriage. You know, we can have your own state. And actually, if you look at how I just Mormons, hope they don't offer the same thing to Muslims. Well, <laughs> Sorry. But, <laughs> well, the real remarkable thing about the Mormon church, the, the, the LDS, the Latter-day Saints, as they prefer to be called, is just how virulent the opposition to them was in the late 19th century. You know, as bad as Catholics, essentially. Yep. And if you read, I mean, if you read the first uh, Sherlock Holmes book or, you know, Riders of the Purple, Sage by Zane Grey or Jules Verne, you know, there's this real trope oh, of murderous, polygamous study Mormons. study in Scarlet. Funnily enough, absolutely. there's some evidence to suggest that, well, I know we're digressing, but I'm interested in this particular digression. There is a little bit of evidence to suggest that the, the Danites and the sort of militant wing of the Mormons did actually go around murdering people. So oh, perhaps yeah. Conan Doyle wasn't quite so far from the truth in a study in Scarlet, but now I'm going to get the Mormons PR people onto me. I have to say, further digression, that in my dealings with Mormons, I've always found them above board and pleasant, and many of them intelligently sceptical about the claims made by their church, whereas arguing with a Jehovah's Witness is... Let's not well, go there. But. One of the real, I mean, people often talk about the kind of the Americanization of the Catholic community in America over the 20th century, you know, from being, you know, no blacks, no Irish, to no Irish need apply, you know, yeah. to having a, a Catholic president, to just kind of become like everyone else, like English yeah. Catholics did here. But the Mormons, it's remarkable, you know, these are kind of now the epitome of the all Americans, you know, square jawed, bland upholders of, of and an enormous Mormon number and, and also tremendously successful in the business world absolutely I mean, a number of yeah, professors yeah, yeah. at Harvard Business School you mentioned America's first president okay this one always amuses me I remember going to mass quite a few years ago and there was an old Irish priest there and he was talking about the importance of the family he said everybody should devote at least an hour to their 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 family however busy they are the late President Kennedy always devoted an hour to his family, and I could see there was an American woman in front of me, and she was just spluttering with laughter, knowing about Judith Campbell Exner and Marilyn Monroe and all the rest of it. Boy, we're digressing. Yeah. But here's the question I want to ask you. It seems to me that there's a stereotype, reaching back to the 70s, when there was a lot of truth in it, of the religious right in America who wield enormous political influence on are able to swing elections and that politicians have to basically follow their wishes if, if they want to get their votes. Now, I'm not saying that Trump didn't pander to that constituency because he certainly did, but it seems to me that the election of a maverick, anti-establishment, right-wing billionaire who hates liberals as, as much as any president ever has happened really despite the scruples of American 
Christians. No, absolutely. He doesn't represent them. And the notion that people who voted for Trump are religious is, as I think you found out yourself, very, very dubious. It is. And I think what you can always find, and you, I mean, I've listened to several documentaries, I've read several books, you can always find someone who, you know, talks about Donald Trump as the new King Cyrus, anointed by God. To, yeah. You know, and you, you can always find people like that. I think, I mean, judging by, you know, people I've spoken to in the States, and also, uh, you know, a, a lot of people I know, I mean, I know a good number of people who hated the choice they were presented with in the last election, couldn't bear to vote for Hillary Clinton for all sorts of reasons but pro-life was a huge one really found Donald Trump as a despicable option they couldn't barely countenance and some of those didn't vote some of those voted for a third party some of those and I've spoken to people who say they went into the polling booth and ended up voting for Trump and they've not even told their wife they wouldn't tell anyone you know you've got this People were not voting for religious reasons. People were voting against their own personal moral convictions. Or, at least negatively, because the modern Democrat Party and and symbolised fairly or not by Hillary Clinton was an extreme anti-life position. And, and, you know, there's a a proportion of, not huge anymore, but there's a good proportion of Catholics and Evangelicals and Mormons in the States for whom that that is the red line. Yeah. A friend of mine, Robert Wagas, who's basically the CEO of the soon-to-be-launched American edition of the Catholic Herald, makes a really, really interesting distinction between social conservatives and cultural conservatives, and he thinks that commentators mix them up. Now, social conservatives are conservatives who care intensely about abortion, about homosexuality, and he thinks that they're shrinking and not necessarily and a particularly important force in elections in the way that they were back in the days of Ralph Reed and the Christian Coalition and, and the religious right. Cultural conservatives voted for Trump with great enthusiasm because, they, you know, they believe in the flag, they believe in patriotism, they believe in protecting American jobs, and if somebody's gay, well, they're not particularly bothered, and, you know, likewise, divorce. And as for abortion... They deplore American conservatives' obsession with abortion. But I just simply point out that, you know, America has the most late-term abortions of any country in the civilised world, and that hasn't changed, and I can't see it changing. So the context of all this is, yes, there are intensely religious people in America in a sort of middle-class, urbanised environment that would strike us maybe as unusual in Europe. But does it really matter? Does it really make much difference to the everyday lives of Americans? Unless, you know, you happen to live in the middle of the Bible Belt or belong to one of these churches. I think less so. I mean, I think we're looking at large kind of cultural levels. I mean, I think you're right that, you know, this kind of religious right isn't the force it was. I mean, the very fact that Donald Trump, who, you know... I think you're right that he played that card beautifully in a way that the Democrats were just not reaching out to some of these people. In fact, keen to antagonise them, actually, I think. Oh, very, including Catholic Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, it's a fact that the Democratic Party managed to infiltrate the Catholic Church in America, which wasn't difficult given how pro-Democrat many of the official bodies are. But also, you know, you look at the uh, Catholics for Dreamers march. I mean, you know, they're all on Zimmer frames, and I'm no spring chicken, but they really were. So the picture of the fading away of mainstream, mainline American Christianity certainly isn't inaccurate, I would say. Oh, no, and this has been something that's been very obvious since the 1960s, that kind of your classic Presbyterians, Methodists, Episcopalians especially, 
they've got some lovely buildings. We, we same here. That has very largely dissipated. Um, the Catholics have very much helped their own. I mean, immigration always helps. It's always helped here. It's always helped in America. I mean, and again, this is one of the things to go back to the topic, of the, the paper that we're discussing. Yeah. I think one of the things that strikes me is that when you do have religious decline, uh, sort of the big level, you know, the kind of you look at the, the main headline statistics and you see religious decline, then you would expect the people now identifying as no religion to have previously had a very sort of weak affiliation it's not that people go from being super committed to having no religion kind of one from one year or even decade to the next i mean some do but generally it's a very yeah. slow process but what isn't at all surprising it seems to me that if you do have a situation in which you've got the kind of the more moderately more weakly more culturally christian people falling away the the people who are left by necessity become more concentrated, more strong, and kind of double down on it, partly because they, they feel that the way that the culture's going is in the wrong direction, so they become even more intense. But also, I mean, simply, you know, I don't know if you make homemade stock, but I do. So, you know, if, you, if, got right if, if you're reducing down a stock, then all the watery bits float off, and, you know, you're kind of left with the concentrated, meaty juices, the viscous bit at the yeah. end. And, you know, if... And we've seen this in, in Britain, we've seen this in, in many places. If the more moderate, less committed people are going, then the people who are left, by necessity, are going to be the more committed. Well, very important point. The boiling down of the stock, as you put it, is something that's certainly not confined to America, certainly not confined to Christianity. For example, if you look at the situation in Israel, the yeah. extent to which the ultra-Orthodox are coming to dominate, and not just religious life there, but becoming an increasingly important part of Israel's social fabric much to the distress of the you know, secular inhabitants yep. of Tel Aviv. That's very striking. Young Catholics it's clearly in happening in, in the Muslim world. Young Catholics in this country are much more conservative than they were in my day. And after 50 years of decline and secularisation, if you're still there at the end of that, then you're going to be more committed than you know, the average Catholic 50 years ago. 40, and 30. you're going to have more children, which is something yeah. that, that is true right across the religious landscape. And very importantly, and I know this is something that you agree with about the people you kind of hang out with, your peer group in that church, the kind of your plausibility structure, to use mm. a bit of jargon, yeah. is going to be similarly committed people. And you're going to encourage each other and it's going to feel more normal to, you know, no longer practice contraception or to think about vocations and things, because it's a milieu that takes that seriously in a way that if you're the one person out of 30 for whom it's really important, then it's very hard to really go into the kind of the greater and greater depth into the tradition and the kind of really make it the massivist thing in yes. your life. Now, it's much easier in America, because if you're in America, especially, you can always find somewhere, but if you're in somewhere like Houston or somewhere like Birmingham, Alabama, and this is one of the things that, again, doesn't come through in the paper, but, you know, that kind of regional culture, but it's much easier to find a group of people who really take this stuff seriously. Than um, it would be in Europe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sure, or in the rest of the states. Okay, final question, and it's the big question. So, you know, 30 years down the line, I mean, do you think that American patterns of church going and religious belief and the influence of religion on public life will look like the European model? I don't. I think what it will look like is that there'll be a, a much higher proportion of basically non-religious people in America than there are now. I don't think it'll be up to British levels. But again, if you look across Western Europe, the patterns are different from country to country. I th do think that what we'll see is a kind of, if you like, a, a minority effect of the people who are left tend to be more committed, 
tend to be more inward looking and but also evangelistic because the people who are evangelistic are the people who really care about their yeah. denominations and so politicians they can't really now anyway but they won't be able to make these sort of broad appeals to our judeo-christian heritage because there'll suddenly be oh, people on twitter saying that. what about you know all the non-religious people and all this what nonsense about, about the, people of faith what about the people of faith yeah, the most exactly. meaningless exactly. phrase i've ever come across yeah. Well, look, we could talk for hours. Yeah, we probably we will, but I will do our listeners the favour of turning off the microphone. And <laughs> thank you very much, Stephen Bullock. A real pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs>